Hello, and welcome to episode 31 of Tech Swamp. We have our host and friendly membership team here today. Hey, Brad. Why, hello there. Hello, Caitlin. What's up? Oh, you know, just membership chilling. Just membership chilling. And of course, myself, Alex. So today we're going to take a deep dive into the very recent House Judiciary hearing on antitrust, otherwise known as the Big Tech hearing. Uh, we'll be joined by our director of communications and friend of the pod, Ashley durkin Rixie, for some background on the antitrust investigation, a recap of the hearing, and what this could mean for our members. But first, we're going to hit tech history and run through some DC headlines. July 4th, 1956, 64 years ago this month, computers and keyboards joined forces for the first time. MIT's whirlwind computer became the first to use a keyboard. Before the keyboard, a computer had to be controlled by inserting punched cards and changing dials and switches. Yikes. Fun fact, just 36 years later in 1992, the first laser projection keyboard rolled out. And that's all for tech history. That sound means it's time for What's Brewing in D.C. Caitlin and Brad, what are some of the top tech headlines? So remember last episode when we discussed Chairman Cicilline and his antitrust concerns with the now-settled dispute between Apple and Hey.com? I do. I do. Well, you may have heard, but something came of it. What? We'll be going... We'll be going into more detail later on in the pod, but Cicilline and the House Judiciary Committee have summoned the top tech CEOs, including Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, and Tim Cook, to testify as part of the antitrust subcommittee's year-long antitrust investigation into digital markets. Stay tuned for more info when we're joined by Ashley later on in the pod. Outside of big tech talk on the Hill... The House and Senate are expected to pass another COVID-19 relief stimulus bill relatively soon. While there are some significant budget disagreements between the Democrat-controlled House and the Republican Senate to the tune of about $2 billion, direct payments to many Americans can be expected no matter what. What else is on the table? Small business funding, including a possible extension of the Paycheck Protection Program, education funding, state and local funding, and unemployment benefits. The bill is expected to be passed before the recess begins on August 7th. And just last week, the FCC began its first auction of licenses for prime mid-band spectrum suitable for 5G. The auction was originally planned for earlier this year, but was delayed until recently due to the COVID-19 pandemic. There have been more than 270 approved applicants who have been qualified to bid on the 3.5 gigahertz spectrum, with large carriers like Verizon, AT&T, and Dish Network at the top of the list. This is a great step in the race to 5G and is crucial to rapid deployment of the next-gen wireless networks our members depend on. We'll check back in on the race to 5G in future episodes. Now, on to our election updates, where we're checking back in with the polls first. The most recent national polls show former Vice President Biden leading President Trump by nine points. Conventions are slated to kick off next month with some last-minute shakeups around the Republican National Convention. Last week, the president announced the largest part of the convention, expected to take place in Jacksonville, Florida, has been canceled, saying, quote, it's not the right time for such a large gathering. Trump is expected to accept the Republican nomination in the convention's original host state of North Carolina. 
The Democratic Convention will be held mostly online, with only a few hundred people allowed in the facility in downtown Milwaukee. We'll be sure to keep you posted on election happenings in future episodes of TechSwamp. And rounding out what's brewing on a somber note, Congressman John Lewis passed away late last week after a lifetime of public service. He began his empowering journey as one of the big six leaders who led the 1963 March on Washington, continued to lead the iconic marches from Selma to Montgomery, and brought his passion to Washington, where he served for over 30 years in Congress. Congressman Lewis was a force on and off the Hill, and his commitment to fight for racial justice will live on through all those he touched. We're so thankful for his leadership and example. And that's all for What's Brewing. As we mentioned earlier, today we're joined by Ashley Dirk and Rixie for some background on the antitrust investigation, a recap of the hearing, and what this could mean for our members. Hi, Ashley. Thank you for joining us on the pod. Happy to be here. So earlier this week, the House Judiciary's Subcommittee on Antitrust held a hearing with four of tech's top CEOs. There's a lot to unpack. I want to start with why. Why did we do this and what is this all about? What's what's the background? What, what should listeners know? Well, this wasn't a one-off hearing. Um, this is part of an ongoing series of hearings on competition in digital marketplaces that began in 2019. If you're a well-tuned listener to the pod, you may remember that Morgan Reed, our president, testified in the very first of these hearings. Um, and there have been subsequent field hearings, on not only issues sort of related to things like um, app stores, uh, advertising search, but also unusual things such as even local news and how news gets disseminated through online platforms. So it's been ranging, but this has been ongoing and this was sort of the crescendo hearing, which is to bring in um, Tim Cook of Apple, Sundar Pichai of Google, Jeff Bezos from Amazon, and Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook to answer many of the questions that the committee subcommittee has had from these previous hearings. And um, we've we've been talking about this issue for for a while now. Um, and basically, uh, our attention around these issues are kind of why regulation like this, if it's not done with small businesses in mind, um, could really impact our members. You know, the trickle down effects of rest regulation could prove detrimental to a lot of small businesses on the app store. So our main concern is that we just really want to make sure that the voices of small businesses are heard before any regulation um, comes down that could possibly end their business. Absolutely. And and I think one of the next steps is that... Um, you know, in theory, there's going to be some sort of report that comes out of all of these hearings. Um, but since this is the last one um, and the most recent one, I want to make sure that we take some time to talk a little bit just like high level about kind of what some of your takeaways from this were, Ashley. Oh, of course. Um, yeah, this was a big event. Um, one interesting thing to kind of set the stage um, Every CEO except for Jeff Bezos had previously testified before Congress in a hearing, so this was their first chance to talk to him about Amazon, and so that was fairly noteworthy. Also, just getting all four of these CEOs in a room is noteworthy. So this was a hearing that was not just sort of 
looked at within the policy corridors of Washington, but also on a national stage, because these are companies that are an everyday part of our lives. Yeah, that's such a great point. That's sort of, this is the first time that we've heard from all of these CEOs at the same time, sort of in the same place, um, which was sort of interesting. And I think sort of um, uh, lent itself to some of the, um, you know, line, lines of questions and, and some of the theatrics that I think came out a little bit from the hearing itself. And just because it was like the gravitas of having those CEOs all together. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I think one of the interesting things that has kind of come from this hearing is, you know, there were a lot of things talked about, but succinctly with the focus of this series and the report that you alluded to, Alex, uh, the chair of the committee, uh, David Cicilline of Rhode Island, did an interview with Axios for sort of a quick takeaway right after. And he said that his own sort of summation from everything that they have heard through this hearing was, he does feel that all four of these companies have monopoly power. But when it comes to the idea of a breakup, which is really what we tend to think of antitrust is because that's how it's historically been used before is to break up things. He feels that only Facebook, Amazon, and Google need to be broken up and have some of the services that they use run independently. Like for example, you know, Facebook and Instagram should be completely separate from each other. And that means the data sharing lots. It's very unusual. Um, you know, circumstances, but that's kind of where he landed. He said the report will be released at the end of August or September because they would really like to introduce some legislation this term around the recommendations of the report. So more to come on this. Keep listening to Tech Swamp. And just to point like a fine point on it, just for like our listeners. So what is interesting about like hearings that are like a series like this is that the goal is to have a report that basically is like a summation of all of the things that were learned, all of the evidence that they um, gathered, and then like sort of everything that they learned from the line of questioning that they were able to give all of the various witnesses during these hearings. And then like that is what shapes the legislation. So like the legislation is based almost entirely on the report that comes from the series of hearings. Um, Just as sort of like a little that's how some crazy things in DC work uh, moment. (laughs) Speaking of crazy things in DC, (laughs) I'm trying to talk about the drama and the theatrics (laughs) of this hearing. I was living for it. You know, it's every hearing is theatrical in some way, right? You know, this is what our, our Congress members are here for, you know, to present their case, to, you know, speak for their party beliefs. But This one was very unusual. First, it started with an hour-long delay to clean the hearing room. So everyone had plenty of time to stew in their feelings. (laughs) Um, And even leading into this week, oh gosh, the hearing was supposed to be Monday. It got Mm -hmm. canceled for uh, the great John Lewis to lie in Capitol for the members to pay their respects to him after his passing. So we had that. There was some procedural back and forth on the shape the hearing should take. And some members of the committee had some disagreements. And you saw a little bit of that kind of tension and buildup certainly play out in the hearing. 
And as we mentioned before, you know, this was the first time that Bezos was testifying. People, there were new issues that they wanted to ask some of these companies about. So that kind of led it to get wildly off topic, as you may have seen on your local news. You know, the members, even when they were off topic, they were prepared. They knew what they wanted to say. They knew this was their chance to have these high profile business leaders in a room and ask them everything that they wanted to sort of ask them, whether it was related to antitrust or some broader issues on content moderation, misinformation, privacy. Um, There were also interesting things in the room. Um, You know, we are now seeing um, masks worn by members of Congress because of COVID-19 to keep themselves safe. And Purell had some amazing brand placement during this hearing. Giant um, buckets giant of Purell. Giant yeah. vats. You yeah. could say they're I think vats. they're of hand wipes specifically, but they just look like giant <laughs> buckets with a big Purell logos. Like, good job, Purell. You did good. Prominently featured. I also... <laughs> I also want to touch on the fact that, Ashley, you mentioned this was Jeff Bezos's um, first congressional hearing. So I'm thinking maybe that's why he took he a did. snack break. Like, he he couldn't hang. He needed to be refueled. And I would really like to know what the <laughs> snack was. It looked like a chip. It good. Um, also along those lines, you know, there was a lot of room rating because we do that now. Yep. When people appear um, virtually in hearings and interviews now. So there was quite a bit of room rating of each of the CEO's backgrounds. Um, you know, mixed bag for some people. I enjoyed Sundar Pichai's color arrangement of vases and plants. Yeah, he also had that cool texture on the wall behind him. Yeah. I did like that. I liked the texture. I am convinced that that plant was fake, and I would like some yeah. clarification on that from right. Google. Where's Actually, it, I think it is real, and it's a Janet Craig plant. They just look really, really fake. We we have one in my own domicile. I, Terrible plant. I, the only reason <laughs> that I thought it looked fake is because the moss that yeah. was on uh, top of the soil looks incredibly yeah. fake. Hate that plant. Um, in my opinion. Tim so. Cook's plants were far better. They were definitely in my real. personal opinion. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I also think it's worth noting. So, um, first of all, this hearing was nearly five hours long. Um, it, it was, was five, five and a half, half hours. It was a very long hearing. There were three full rounds of questions. Uh, many of the subcommittee members stayed for the entirety of the hearing. Um, and many asked uh, m- multiple five minutes of questions um, throughout. Um, And so it also meant that a lot of the CEOs were sort of sitting and waiting for kind of a long period of time while the line of question was directed at one uh, or another. And it did seem a little bit like the rounds of questions kind of focused uh, on the on different CEOs and sort of different aspects of, um, you know, some of the questions that they had around, uh, you know, as we alluded to content curation and and, um, a little bit about antitrust and a little bit about monopolies and that sort of thing. Um, And so obviously we're going to get into some of the content uh, of this, but um, I kind of want to just like set the stage, which is that, you know, I think when you have all four of these CEOs of these big tech companies, um, it's really easy to sort of get lost in all of the things that are going to get talked about. Um, You know, for our discussion today, we are going to focus a little bit on um, the line of questions that Tim Cook of Apple received and some of his answers. You know, I think when you look at sort of where our membership lies, 
some of the questions asked around things like copyright and privacy and um, the 30% rule are sort of most relevant to our members. So we are going to focus a little bit more on kind of um, the questions that Tim Cook received and um, talk a little bit more about sort of what that means for our membership. Um, and so with that, um, let's let's dive Let's dive in. Um, I want to start with kind of some of the questions that were asked around copyright um, and kids' privacy. Um, Ashley, I thought it was really interesting, and would love your thoughts. You know, one of the one of the questions that came up um, was a little bit around. You know, Apple obviously has some of their own apps. Um, obviously, they um, you know it's the iOS platform. And one of the questions that arose was sort of like around. I think a whether or not Apple kind of preferences their own apps, but then b um, there were questions around the developer guidelines that suggested that um, perhaps Apple was able to essentially take IP from the developers on their platform. Um, can you talk a little bit about sort of your thoughts on that and and sort of what we were able to discern uh, looking into it a bit? Sure. I think one of the interesting things is this line of questioning came up actually for all four companies in different ways um, because data, they're data collectors. And right. there were a lot of questions, what do you do with this data? So for Apple, it came down to apps. And, you know, it's very interesting because if you look at what's in the app store, you know, if I'm looking for a food delivery app, I, my choices are not slim. Um, there are many, <laughs> and that's part of competition. Everyone wants to iterate, you know, the one that's easiest to use, has the most right. choices, you know, it's constant competition. And that's not exactly wholesale piracy or copyright right. violations. Now, that doesn't mean that doesn't happen on these platforms. And in fact, it often does. And that's part of why Apple in their developers agreement it does not allow for infringement right. and that is a pretty frequent issue especially we've heard for our membership um it was actually pointed out i think possibly by uh congressman nadler or maybe nagoose that one of the things in the developers agreement is it has to be a novel idea right so while it may be very similar it's a different presentation of the function and that goes for Apple's native apps themselves. I think it's also important, um, Congresswoman Demings and McBath uh, brought up a specific example about a kid's screen time app and, um, you know, what happened with, did Apple remove this and copy it? Um, can we talk a little bit about that example and kind of Tim Cook's response and what, what that situ how that situation was explained sure. to members of Congress? Um, one of the threads that came sort of from the course of, as these hearings have happened, was, I believe it was either New York Times and Wall Street Journal talked to some developers of parental screen time apps, you know, to control what your kids are looking at, how long that they're being in use, who felt that they had been, their apps had been removed from the app store, so Apple could preference its own new screen time app. And that was the specific line of questioning from both of the Congresswomen. And Tim Cook's answer was actually a really interesting peek behind the technology. Um, he said that one of the reasons these parental control apps were removed 
is that they used mobile device management technology. And this technology known as MDM, trying to enunciate, um, <laughs> basically allows the app to take whole control of your device and see everything that you're doing. And Cook said that because they care so deeply about privacy and children's privacy in particular, they felt that the use of this te technology was a privacy violation. And right. that is a big reason that they removed these and that, you know, it was sort of a coincidental launch with screen time and that screen time has just been promoted as an alternative. And it's also important to, to note that um, in the testimony, Tim Cook also said that the app um, a few months later was available again on the store after they had made some security updates, if that's I'm remembering correct. correctly. Yeah, and I, I think that's noteworthy as well, sort of uh, as you relate it back to some of the questions around copyright, is that Apple does give uh, companies an opportunity to make changes to apps before they're like completely... Um, before they're never allowed back on the store, right? They may be taken down for a period of time, but they're right. always allowed to go back and and make changes and fixes. Um, and I think between sort of the the questions that were being asked around copyright and privacy, I think what we sort of got from it was, um, you know, I think what Apple really has tried to do and is continuing to try to do um, is just create a place within sort of the app store that allows for competition between the various apps, which means you can't have a direct copy of an app. But if there are apps that are similar, that's what fuels the competition on the app store. And like similarly, um, Apple has made it a point to make privacy a really major feature of both the platform and frankly, their devices. Um, and so there are obviously, you know, security requirements security that you requirements. have to meet in order to be on that platform. Um, and, you know, I, I think that uh, Tim Cook did a good job of sort of making that uh, clear as to sort of how Apple is approaching those things. Um, it underscored something that's been very interesting to me as we've sort of begun looking at all of these issues really on privacy competition is, you know, their wrapping privacy and antitrust together is very difficult. Um, mm -hmm. And point, you know, sort of came up in the hearing to show the difficult balance to achieve because there was a line of questioning, I believe it was from uh, Val Demings as well, towards Google about YouTube and what they yeah. do with kids' data. And there were some internal memos that were acquired by the committee as part of the ongoing investigation that showed that Google had used data about kids' activities on YouTube, what they were watching, in order to make agreements for interstitial advertising on YouTube videos with toy manufacturers. That is something that, you know, COPPA, um, one of our favorite things to talk about has really <laughs> cracked down on. So that was being presented as you not protecting this data is a right. bad thing. But then also there was this presentation to Apple and the parental control app of, right. well, you cracking down on some of these apps because you felt that they weren't protecting privacy enough is also a bad thing. 
Right. I actually think this leads really well into sort of the second kind of key area that I think um, a lot of the questions for for Tim Cook really came from, which was sort of obviously around um, the 30% rule that Apple has. Um, and I think one of the things that we sort of talk about when, when certainly at least when we talk about software platforms is this idea that like the reason that there is some sort of payment structure um, between the developer and the platform that typically exists because there are um, inherent benefits that developers get from being on those platforms. Um, so I just say that to sort of set the stage because I think all of the questions that were asked um, sort of relate back to whether or not those benefits are worth the 30%, essentially. Um, and Ashley, I thought you had some really interesting thoughts on kind of um, Congressman Nadler's line of questions for Tim Cook around this. Congressman Nadler had asked a question that came up in a New York Times article uh, right before the hearing was moved the first time. So it was very relevant at the top of mind that um, Airbnb and ClassPass, because of the nature of their businesses being very much about travel, gathering in small spaces, had pivoted more to offer on-demand video for classes and experiences during COVID-19. And he had, they had raised some issues with suddenly now being charged a subscription rate for these services by Apple. And it was, the question was very interesting because he sort of boldly asked, are you canvassing the app store to see who has pivoted their model to figure out where you can take commission? Are you profiteering off this pandemic? Right. And Tim Cook delivered a very forceful reply um, saying that, you know, this is an absolute travity. We would never do that. Um, and that if they now provide a digital service, it does need to go through the commission model. It's a change right. in their guidelines. And he said, but in the cases where they have seen this, they are working with the developers to help sort of ease them into this. Um, this is something, you know, many businesses are doing right now. You know, we've had our own members who have sort of had to pivot their offerings and the way they're working with their own apps during this. So it was a timely issue that sort of set the stage for the broader context of talking about, well, what is this rate all about? And uh, Tim Cook gave some historical context that when they entered the market of just storing the app store in general, the cost of doing business for a software developer was a 50 to 70% rate to a publisher who was going to pay for packaging the software, negotiating the contracts to get it on store shelves, right. marketing and promotion. Like overhead was so much more expensive. So much more expensive. This is something actually you still see in video games. Yeah. There is still sort of this developer publisher model. Um, when they began the app store, they took that rate in half at 30% for the services they were going to offer on marketing and promotion, doing that kind of piracy check, an infringement check for your app, um, helping process payments, all of those things. And they said they've held it there, you know, they've, yeah. or they've lowered it in some cases in regular subscription apps where it drops back down to 15%. 
After the first year, yeah. That's correct. And the other big change that has sort of evolved is developers have found more ways to monetize their app so that they could offer them for free. And in those cases, it's 84% of apps, the developers are keeping 100% of that commission. So it's a small percentage of apps that are paying 15 or 30%, but this is a hot economy. You know, this is so these questions are being raised because everyone kind of wants to be the next big. I also thought, um, just to jump in really quickly, uh, Congressman Raskin also asked a question that was similar um, in the same vein of uh, how businesses are pivoting. Um, And he said, you know, uh, these terms don't seem like they're fair terms. It seems like you're changing the terms. And Tim Cook put it very clearly, you know, when a, a developer, when an app changes the model um, to then provide uh, a digital service, it does need to go through a different commission model. And in his answer to Raskin, he said the commission in the first year is 30 percent, but then it goes down to 15 percent in the second year and every year after so that's where kind of the, well, is it 15 right. or is it 30? Because there did seem to be a little consternation around which is it. And I think that the explanation of 30 in the first year, 15 and all the rest of the years, like kind of leveled the discussion and and made it a little bit more obvious that there's not like a malicious attempt to bleed these. Dev- yeah, I also think it's relevant. Like there are 1.7 million apps on the App Store. Um, And there are 1.7 million apps on the App Store for a reason, right? Developers like it. um, Consumers like it. Um, And so I also think that that's something that ought to be considered um, just because, like, that's exciting. It means that there is this really vibrant, um, competitive place where developers can get their apps and their ideas and their innovations to customers. and in most cases, that's for, you know, an annual fee, since a lot of those apps, as we know, 84% of those apps are offered for free. So Apple is not even getting a commission on those. And I think that that's relevant to the conversation. And I think it's relevant to um, what Congressman Raskin, Raskin was was asking as well. Um, Absolutely. And I thought uh, his question about, he asked uh, Tim Cook whether this model squeezes out the next generation of entrepreneurs. Yeah. And I thought that the answer was really really insightful. Uh, you already mentioned the number, but they've gone from 500 apps to 1.7 million, you know? So how how could you come to the conclusion that this is squeezing out entrepreneurs? It, it only continues to grow, really. Especially because the, and, and the point there was that Apple has never changed that 30% rule. It has always, since the inception of the App Store, um, that 30% uh, has been the number. And I believe that it was after the App Store had been, uh, you know, a thing that we were using as consumers for a little while, um, for a few years after it was introduced, that's when they said, okay, first year is 30%. And then uh, they started the after the first year, it goes down to 15% uh, rule. So I, yeah, I think that that's a great point, Brad. Like it's, it's super relevant um, to where the App Store has already gone, and I think sort of gives us a good indication of where the App Store is likely to go. I I was I bought one of the first iPhones, um, so I remember the early days of the App Store. Nice. Thinking, oh yeah, me too. <laughs> that was the oh, yeah, phone that was too. like black and silver, it had black right? At the yeah, yeah. It had black I'm at the that bottom. Yeah, five hundred apps was like 
there's so much choice compared yeah. to walking into a big box store and yeah. now to 1.7 million. It's I also want to quickly just touch on um, that what 30% gives developers is not just, you know, like they, it's not just to process a payment. It's for programming languages. It's for 150,000 different APIs. It's for accessibility toolkits to help developers who don't have an accessibility access team to harness the tools that are on the App Store to bring apps to people um, really of all abilities. Um, so I think that it's really important to make that distinction there that 30% is so much more kind of than the way that it was painted yesterday by Absolutely. Congress And even just the nature of being on the platform. Like even if you, like let's say you do offer a free app on the App Store, you still get access to a global marketplace. You're still getting this lowered over overhead, right? Because it's still just an annual fee that you're paying. It's not that 50 to 70% of your revenue. Um, you know, you there's trust. There are a lot of consumers, obviously, on the App Store, but there are also a lot of consumers who just like like apps that are available on multiple platforms. There's benefits to that. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that is such a great point, Caitlin. Um, I, you know, we've talked about a lot. What are we missing? What are some of the things that sort of either weren't covered uh, both in our conversation, but I think also during the hearing? Um, anything, Ashley, that you think is sort of noteworthy that was missing? You know, I thought one of the noteworthy things are just sort of the core of what the hearing is about. Um, ranking member Sensenbrenner, who could not remind us enough how excited he was for retirement. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> As I, I said to Brad, he was he was like the, you know, cop two days from retirement that is like showing off his boat <laughs> in an yep. action movie like. It was very much like a senioritis yes. kind of <laughs> vibe. You know, he was leaving with some interesting thoughts, one of which was talking about how at the core of this hearing, it's really a question of do we need to amend and expand the antitrust rules we've had in place since the days of Standard Oil, railroads, sugar conglomerates to reflect a different economy that is driven by very different things? Or do we simply need to do better at enforcing our already existing antitrust rules on the books? And I think mm -hmm. that's that to me is at least what this hearing series has really been about. And I think that's going to be an interesting thing to look at in the report. Is it going to be enforcement? versus expansion or a blend of both. Um, on that similar issue, um, <laughs> Kelly Armstrong from North Dakota uh, gave a very fascinating example uh, by using GDPR, uh, our, one of the global privacy uh, laws. And he mentioned that you know GDPR was intended to rein in very big companies about how they used consumer privacy. And this is something, or consumer data. We've talked about this before. You know, uh, Sundar Pichai had previously testified. It took them sort of like, you know, what was it like a hundred years of man hours to implement yeah. GDPR? Yeah. yeah. And Representative Armstrong raised the specter of, are we looking again 
and a regulation regime that the only people who sort of can afford financially and from a resources perspective to comply with this are these same law big companies that we're trying to penalize. And it ends up instead squeezing out some of the smaller businesses who don't have this vast amount of resources to just suddenly start a whole new compliance department. I think that's really important, too, because we had a, a member and I think, you know, Brad can can talk about this, the nature of of Stephen Forte and his letter and the work that he does and how he's kind of seen that affect Fresco. Capital. Absolutely. Steve's been pretty vocal as someone that's kind of in uh, the venture capitalist space. You know, I, I think as he's looked at all of these. Um, laws being proposed, particularly in the privacy space all across the country in different uh, states. He's kind of gone from the angle of like, uh, you know, uncertainty is not necessarily the best for um, for an investor, particularly. Like, to reiterate what you guys were saying, uh, these privacy pieces obviously have immense costs in man hours and we are really cognizant of this at ACT and really uh, certainly concerned with uh, the proposition that maybe the only companies that will be able to comply with these things because of their massive legal and compliance departments will be the large companies while uh, the small businesses may be left behind. And that's why, uh, to bring us full circle, I think it's so important to consider the unintended consequences of rushing into uh, new antitrust legislation. Absolutely. And Caitlin alluded to this sort of at the beginning of our conversation, but the reality is that there, there's always an offset. Um, and typically, um, that offset is going to be on the small businesses who rely on these platforms. So it's super important that we make sure to continue to let Congress know that this is important to small businesses and not to forget about them. Um, so with that, I think uh, we've had a, a great conversation about what was truly a, a wild and entertaining hearing. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us in the policy conversation um, and uh, looking forward to having you stick around for Random Identifier. Thanks for having me. I was very excited to discuss this with you all. It was a good shared five and a half hours yesterday. Yes. Team, <laughs> team watch, team effort for sure. Almost a thousand replies on our internal thread on, and on we our just Slack competition. A five and a half thread. hour hearing in about fifteen minutes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Boom. Boom. That easy. Now it's time for our random identifier. Uh, Ash, since you're the guest, I'm gonna let you go first. What do you have for us for random identifier? I have a Netflix watch recommendation. Yes. Um, if you are anything like me, and I will also speak for Brad, Brad, <laughs> and you are deeply missing sports right now, um, I really want to recommend the Netflix docuseries Home Game. It is a fascinating look at unusual but sort of deeply culturally entrenched sports around the world, um, everywhere from Scotland with the Highland Games. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> to uh, one that I was really excited about. The United States example is roller derby, a sport that I played for 10 years and got yes. a brand new hip from, um, <laughs> to some really unusual ones that are sort of 
you know, below the radar that you wouldn't know unless you live in by one of these countries. Um, one that I thought was really fascinating is Caltro Storico. It's a Florentine sport that goes back, you know, way into sort of Roman, you know, gladiator days where yeah. different neighborhoods in Florence are divided up into these four quadrants. They play this sport only twice a year, um, but it is very deeply entrenched in the city. And it is rugby plus a little MMA. Yeah, um, it's like very <laughs> violent. It is extremely violent. Yeah. But what's really cool is listening to the men who play that sport talk about how much the cultural pride the pride they have in the neighborhood that they represent. Um, there's one player who talks about his son. And he said, I don't know if he will become a player someday, but I hope that he does, like my father before me. So it, it's a really deeply entrenched in what it means to be from Florence. Um, another one that I thought was really fascinating is uh, Pelwani. It's a form of traditional wrestling in India that takes place within... Uh, sacred temple spaces so it's sort of also honoring uh their gods and it because of that it's been typically limited to men and only men participate in this and there has been an influx of young women beginning to wrestle in the pelwani style and it follows two young women who are trying to make their way and make their name in this sport and this influx came after an Indian woman who had done Pawani wrestling won a medal at the Olympics. Oh, wow. And brought this really cool focus. So it's, it's a great series. It's very feel-good. You'll definitely, you know, cock an eyebrow or two. I won't even get into how free diving scares the crap out of me, how long these people <laughs> can be underwater. <laughs> I do not like deep water activities. <laughs> but it's if you're missing sports, if you're missing traveling, high recommendation. Yeah, it's really I was gonna say it seems like a great way to sort of fill that like wanderlust void a little bit. It does. And if you have podcast listeners, any questions after the roller derby episode? I'm all ears. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, that's awesome. All right, uh, Brad, what do you have for us this month? Well, you guys already know that it's going to be music-focused, and that's because a new album from yet another Australian band joining Rolling Blackout's Coastal Fever uh, is coming out this week, and that is Brain Candy by Hockey Dad. And it's actually... I'm I'm particularly excited about it because I pre-ordered the vinyl record, and they actually sent it to me a couple weeks ago early on accident no doubt but i've already gotten the chance to listen to it and now i'm feeling really cool because i i mean no one else has it yet, yeah you know, vip but, status uh, <laughs> so i'm really excited and it's it's a very good album it's great for summer um and i've been listening way too much to it i love that i think that's awesome i also believe that perhaps you've mentioned hockey dad before on the podcast yeah oh, definitely it's possible so Probably. i feel like that means that everyone should check them out probably they're pretty fun i'll I'll say it yeah i'm not afraid i'll say it um (laughs) that's awesome i'm actually i mean i should have known that you were gonna go with music but i almost thought you were gonna go sports since some sports are back 
Yeah, I thought about it. I thought about it, but also because of the Marlins uh, COVID outbreak, I am very fearful that sports will be gone very soon, so I don't want to get too excited about it. Uh, before it gut punches me. That's fair. That's totally fair. Um, well, then we'll just we'll move off it right away. Caitlin, <laughs> tell us what your random identifier is. So my random identifier is about... Whoa. Uh, just kidding. Cut me deep. It's, it's not going to be about the, the mascot alone with single, like, single cards. <laughs> no, mine's actually about music. Um so i had a goal for 2020 um a resolution if you will um to go to a bunch of like local independent record stores and build my record collection because i got a record player for christmas i was so excited to do it um alex and brad you guys have been with me when i have made a lot of these purchases um so I was devastated, obviously, when COVID-19 hit for multiple reasons, but because this really cramped my style with building my record collection. But thank you to uh, (laughs) Metadata and Instagram for pointing me in the way of a company called Vinyl, but they spell it V-N-Y-L, like a true startup. Um, And (laughs) they sent me three records, curated records, based on my... uh, my Spotify listening. Um, and it came with three records, a handwritten little note about why they picked the records for me, um, a fun little like stay home and listen to vinyl um, little poem. Um, it just was a really nice package to get and a way for me to achieve my goal of building my record collection yes. um, uh, while supporting cool. a small business. Yes. Um, yeah, so... I was excited about this. Um, they sent me three records, one of them by uh, Sean Carey of Bonnie Vare that I'm Ooh. so excited to listen to. Um, so that's what I'm going to be really focusing a lot of my that next week awesome. off time doing. I love that. That sounds really incredible. Yeah. It. That's a really cool service. So is it an app? Um, <laughs> it's not an app. Um, they might have an app, but they, so this, it's a is web a app, this is a web page. This is a web browser. Yeah. Yes. yeah. That's a browser really cool. app, yes. Um, well, my random identifier is that I turned 30 a week ago. And um, yeah, very exciting. And I have decided to sort of like enter this new decade um, feeling very positive. Um, and so that includes I have made like a it's kind of like a New Year's resolution, but it's a new decade resolution that I'm going to do yoga a minimum of once a week. Um, that I'm going to treat myself to fresh flowers once a month, right? And that when uh, things reopen and I am able to go, uh, Caitlin, much like you, support small businesses, um, I'm going to find like a like a new coffee shop every month, and I am going to support them in every way that I can. But they cannot be owned by a major corporation; they have to be a small local. And if that means I have to leave Washington D.C. slash Maryland to do that, I will do that. That's my goal. Those are my goals for the next 10 years. (laughs) Excellent. Okay, guys, that's it for Tech Swamp. If you heard anything on here that piqued your interest, head over to our website and make your way to the podcast section. We'll have notes on today's episode that include links to all the good stuff. And of course, we want to give a shout out to Brad Goodall, who composed our podcast, Awesome Music. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, 
SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher. And of course, we would love a rate and review. Five stars only, please. <laughs> and that's all for today, folks. Everyone say bye. Bye. Bye.